0: When clients come, they look for that sameness that enables them to connect, to build the contact.
1: So they're looking for someone like them who understands them?
0: Who understands not just who they are, who understands who they are, what their system is in terms of economics, what their system is in terms of education, what their system is in terms of religion, in terms of gender, how women are treated. Mm. Because India is broadly a patriarchal society. Mm. And while, yes, of course, in the last 15 or 20 years, there's been a lot of change, there's been a lot of influence, but these are so deep in our DNA. Mm.
1: This is Three People in Your Head, a podcast about getting the best out of yourself and others, co-hosted by John Fleming and myself, Matt Taylor.
2: In this episode, we speak with Anna Chandy, who is a teaching and supervising transactional analyst in the counselling field. Anna is also a thought leader, mental health advocate, and is involved at an executive level in a not-for-profit organisation called the Live, Laugh, Love Foundation in India. In this episode, Anna shares with us her experience of being a TA counsellor in India. Well, Anna, what a pleasure to have you on the podcast again. Welcome.
0: Thank you for inviting me, especially after the panel discussion. I was looking forward to this interview. Us too.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, Anna, we might get you to just introduce yourself, talk a little bit about who you are, where you come from, what your background is.
0: My name is Anna Chandi. I come from a small city in the south of India called Bangalore. Some of you may know about Bangalore because it's the Silicon Valley of India. I started my TA journey in 2003 and I'm a TSTA now a few years ago. I was the first CTA in counseling from India in 2006. And currently I am the only TSTA from of counseling from India. I've really enjoyed TA because for me it really helps me work with individuals and families because I'm able to highlight to them and share concepts with them, so which I believe is very important for empowerment, especially psychoeducation. And also I was drawn to TA because of Byrne's interest in intuition. And I'm a person who actually works with uh, my gut.
3: Mm, Great.
2: Excellent. So Anna, you might um, mention to us as well, just how the counselling field sits in India alongside the psychotherapy field and what, if any, difference there is. Because we know from our initial uh, podcast with Rosemary Knapper around counselling, that she sees uh, the counselling field in transaction analysis as Therapeutic counselling and what she refers to, I think, as complementary counselling. So people from other professions, maybe social workers, youth workers, etc., using TA in that role. So I was just wondering, is that the same in India, or do you know is there a difference there?
0: So I think I would take it a step back. I think first is important to understand the mental health landscape and the psychology landscape of India. Mm. There is a lot of stigma in India around mental health. Therefore, the practice and profession of psychology itself was unheard of. In fact, the last five years, it's really emerged and people are beginning to understand. Having said that, the word here of counseling and psychotherapy, both the terms are used interchangeably. What they really mean is when you say here in India that you're going for counseling is that you're actually going for therapeutic counseling and because of the stigma and because of mental health itself being not spoken about the first step in that area was of development is for people are more comfortable to say that they go to a counselor than a therapist because among the educated they associate psychotherapy with freud and then they have these visuals that media has kind of created stereotypical visuals of you know person being on the couch and It's never-ending and all your life you're being asked probing questions. So they associate it with that. Uh Um, So there's a comfort level, both among the general civil society or the public, but also in the organizations. So when you said that Rosemary talks about complementary counseling here, that is even there's a difference in coaching. When organizations ask for coaches, if it's not a business coach, Actually, what they're asking for is a counsellor who's doing counselling work, but has the title of being a coach. They're actually dealing with your personal lives, but under the guise of a coach.
1: Isn't that interesting? And so some of that, the labels are to make people feel comfortable.
0: Yes, to make them comfortable and for it to be more acceptable.
1: Yeah. It's one of the things that over the years in the UK the idea of going to see a therapist has become less and less of an embarrassing thought whereas there was a stigma attached to it 20 years ago but now it's becoming more acceptable so yeah i can understand
2: it's comparable as well to ireland Anna, in the sense that uh, we're probably about 10 years behind the uk there would have been a lot of stigma in ireland around mental health and i think for a lot of people referring to the person they're working with as a counselor is still much more acceptable than saying i'm going to see a therapist (laughs) or a psychotherapist so there is there is comparisons i can understand we're probably a little bit further on in that journey but it's definitely a similar journey and for us it was because of religion that was a huge influencing factor in not speaking about feelings not opening up. So can understand how stigma can affect the semantics yeah. and the words around things. Yeah, yeah it's very interesting. And, and I suppose that leads on just to kind of inquire really about culture and how culture can affect the work that you do and how that might be different in India from what Matt or I might uh, have in our frame of reference.
0: I think I'd first like to say broadly, India has a macro culture. And within that macro culture, there are many micro cultures. Yeah. And that's one thing. And then I'd like to also share that culture is interlinked to demographics social demographics, economic demographics, religious demographics. And these demographics have been passed on multi generationally, they're very deep in our DNA. And so I really go with Jean Isley Clark's idea that the cultural frame of reference is much, much more deeper and difficult to kind of bring out into the open and work with. And therefore, the reason I say about cultural sensitivity is that when you say you're Indian, I'll just give you some kind of demographics. So first we become Indian. Mm. then we are either north indian south indian east indian west indian those are the broad demographics and then Mm. you go in the south there's so much of difference between the neighboring state and these are so deeply encoded and embedded in us Mm. and these demographics are just don't show up that easily i think indians are a little more sensitive and we understand it because a lot of the etiquette the group etiquettes that you see in these microcultures are unspoken. Mm. And you understand it either if you've been born into the culture or you've been closely associated and therefore there are some observable differences. So the reason I say it's very subtle, it's very covert, and it's not so obvious. Mm. And I think it's important for me when I say that and the reason I want to highlight on this is I don't think people really look at that deeply. Okay. You know, for example, in India, one glove doesn't fit all Indians.
3: Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I'd like to illustrate that. And I illustrate that as a psychologist who's actually very deeply interested in this mm. uh, because I come from a certain social structure. Okay. And therefore, the client population that I work with are primarily for that social structure. Yeah. Uh, They look for that because when clients come, they look for that sameness that enables them to connect, to build the contact.
1: So they're looking for someone like them who understands them?
0: Who understands not just who they are, who understands who they are, what their system is in terms of economics, what their system is in terms of education, what their system is in terms of religion, in terms of gender, how women are treated, Mm. because India is broadly a patriarchal society. Mm. And while, yes, of course, in the last 15 or 20 years, there's been a lot of change, there's been a lot of influence, but these are so deep in our DNA. And therefore, I think it's important to understand this, that if you don't understand this, it's very alien to somebody who comes from another country.
2: Yeah, of course. Yeah, and Anna, can you uh, maybe illustrate how you look at that from TA terms? I'm I'm wondering has TA assisted in your understanding of the social structures and the cultures and the microcultures that exist within each other? What models or theory would you think of or refer to when you're looking at that and trying to understand it?
0: So, I think for me, the TA concepts in terms of understanding a client is to understand the cultural script. So I use that very systematically and very deeply. Mm. I also actually look when I'm doing an assessment, you know, from the classical model, you can say it's a behavioral diagnosis, but it's not a behavioral diagnosis in what they're presenting themselves. I look at it as a behavioral diagnosis as what is the theme of the behaviors of the system.
1: Maybe you could explain for somebody who's just new to TA, what you mean, first of all, by behavioral diagnosis and then how that fits in with the script system and, and the culture as well.
0: So if you look at when you meet someone, meet a new individual, yeah. the first thing is that when you do systemic work, that in my head, this individual is just the voice of the system.
3: Mm, right.
0: okay, the person who's going to talk about their systemic issues yeah. And then when you look at a behavioral diagnosis, which is what from the classical school, but if you're doing counseling, you say an assessment, what is the behavioral assessment? Yeah. the gestures, the tones, the way they speak, when I say I look at it from a systemic, I ask them about the theme in the family because you know in the first session itself, You can understand that is the individual really the odd one in the system? Or is this the systemic theme and systemic behaviors? Mm. The reason I say that, let me say, explain something about behavioral. I talked about a North Indian and a South Indian. A North Indian, for the South Indian, we experience them as loud, aggressive, and boisterous. A South Indian behaviorally is expressed as more withdrawn, more quiet, and who underplays themselves.
3: That's so, so interesting. If,
0: yeah. So if you look at it, when we just say, oh, he's from the North, and it's almost like, okay, so the, you expect them to be like this, you know, loud and boisterous, set, you know, almost in your face. But if a South Indian does that, who's loud and boisterous, then you're wondering, oh, so this one's the odd one here. right?
3: Mm.
1: Mm. There are some differences within the UK, which is obviously way smaller. They talk about the North and South divide. So yeah, I, I can understand that. And especially with such a vast subcontinent.
0: So let me elaborate because I think it's important for people to understand when I talk about demographics. Yeah. And I've talked about, you know, we come from certain demographics, whether they're economic, whether they're social. Uh, It's been very interesting. And in fact, we've done some, collected some data in our office because I'm very curious about these things. One of the first few meetings, some of the people who are from a certain demographic financially would drop numbers Mm. and the dropping of the numbers is actually for them, you're under scrutiny to see if you're overwhelmed by their wealth. Right. Okay. Okay. Because if you're overwhelmed by their wealth, they are not going to share other aspects of themselves.
3: Yeah.
1: So when you say they drop their numbers, they're dropping information for you to respond to? Uh,
0: More than responding to see how you're going to react.
3: React. React. Okay.
0: Yeah. Are you going to get scared? Are you going to get overwhelmed? Mm. And some of them will tell you that later.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I,
2: I've had that happen me, with a client where the client was much older than me and yeah. uh, the client went on to talk about how much older they were than me. And it was all about checking out how was I going to react to that. So I just said, oh, I said, you're really interested in my age. I'm wondering what the interest is in because I'm not particularly interested in your age or my age. <laughs> or the difference. And uh-huh. and that was the reaction they were looking for because then later in the therapeutic relationship, they said, you know, one of the reasons I kept coming to you was because of how you reacted when yeah. when I was bringing up her age. So it's a similar system. Yeah. But I can see how you're saying in, in India, sometimes it can particularly revolve around status, around social status or wealth, or, yeah. or, or at least that's what I'm picking up from, from yeah. what you're saying.
0: Wealth or education or your educational background in terms of you're from the uk you understand indian yeah. we still have it if you're educated you have public school education all this makes you know the social status they're not just going to go to anybody because they heard they're skilled they're yeah. also going to say do they understand my world yes. can they connect to my world
3: yeah
1: mm-hmm that's fascinating because I live in Cambridge and I have a number of academic clients and Cambridge is one of the toughest universities to get into and so often I find myself working with people and feeling like I have to really concentrate to keep up with them academically. I went to a great university in Manchester but that is important to them that they can yeah.
2: share information that is in their field of scope. Okay. I'm, wondering, I'm wondering what gets discounted in the process Anna, that's what I'm intrigued about now, about why they If anything gets discounted in that process, because my assumption would be that if they know somebody is skilled, are they discounting something by not working with them because they don't come from the same social status that they do?
0: I think they do discount the skills, Hmm. but I think for them, they identify the counseling therapeutic relationship as somebody who's going to be an invisible witness and observer to their world, mm. uh, all the chaos, all the dynamics. And therefore, they're very cautious.
3: Yeah, yes. yeah.
0: And it's important, uh, John, to understand that therefore, even the way the term confidentiality is used is very different. They're not going to go to a therapist who's a stranger.
1: Yeah, okay. So it um, would be from word of mouth or from recommendation? That.
0: Yeah. And why I mean. is
2: Why is that, Anna? What do you think the the reason the, or, or the uncomfortableness of a stranger would bring?
0: I think they feel the subtlety of the demographics of class and caste, as we call it, and yeah. religion, and that's where I talk about sociology.: Yes. Yeah. I think there is an entanglement of this. All the strands are deeply entangled, and therefore it takes a lot for that entanglement. To kind of be disentangled, okay, and I think these entanglements are in their cultural script that is passed on transgenerationally okay. they're not even yes. aware of it, they're not even aware of it
2: yeah. Mm. Yeah. I'm thinking now about, from what little I know about India, um, I've been to Calcutta a few times and and from those trips I've learned some about the culture in Bengal, but obviously that's a very small province in a very large country. Well, not small maybe, but it's one of many. And that is that there's so many religions in India. Yeah. With, I think, Hinduism probably being the predominant religion. But I'm just thinking about what you're saying there, that it's also probably then based on things like religion as well, where uh, people will only go to counsellors from, or who are practising the same religion that they are. Would that be?
0: Maybe for some denominations, yes. But I think I'm smiling because I would say they would go to, for example, if they're choosing women, they would go with women who... They don't identify as alpha because, you know, early on in my practice, I've had that maybe about seven, eight years ago, not now anymore, uh, but I would have, if wives were seeing me, I would have husbands come in immediately to just check me out, to see who's this lady, is she an alpha woman, is the marriage going to take a turn? Because they, somewhere there's an assumption that the therapist or the counselor implants ideas of liberty, and progressiveness in the the individual. That's that's, interesting. Yeah, and that's exactly why I actually do systemic work.
1: That makes total sense now because obviously you have to be very sensitive to not trying to disrupt the system that this person is held in Mm -hmm. for them and the family and the expanded family and culture. Wow, that is such an interesting consideration because in the West it's obviously much less so your attention goes with the individual and you pay attention. You ask them about their families. What's interesting for me is having met you a couple of times, you strike me as a strong woman, a strong-minded woman. And so do you find yourself having to not necessarily play a role, but have to be, again, sensitive to the husband who's come to meet you to make sure that you present correctly?
0: Uh, I am a strong woman. I am considered a strong, independent, radical woman for India. Uh, Having said that, my practice, 70% of the client population have been high-achieving, strong, independent, authoritative men um, Ah. and their systems. So I think when I look at my role or my task, I walk a very fine line because i actually engage with each member of the system in a way that they feel comfortable and psychologically safe and also the way when i confronting them or bringing to their awareness an inconsistency i do it in a way that they will not experience humiliation or inadequacy in any way mm-hmm. so it's really a it's actually what i would say a very focused job that i do and the experience has come over the years and initially i used to think that you know this was something that i was doing very different in india having said that i know that robert goulding actually spoke about uh, in ta training in his days that that the people who are in the training group the trainer should be their therapist also so that he or she actually becomes uh, understands all the various enactments and of course, now it's all separate. But mm-hmm. recently, I heard a podcast of a psychologist, Dr. Brannan, and he spoke about this, about the importance of one therapist seeing all members of the system. And I like the metaphor he said. If He said otherwise, it's like having five children and sending them to five different schools for education. Yeah.
1: I like that idea. And it also makes me think about you as a TSTA, so a teaching and supervising transactionalist. The training for someone who is becoming a counsellor in your context would be quite different than having to consider all those sensitivities, very different from somebody in the UK.
0: Yeah. I think the training is very focused in this area. Because all my associates, we have something called the Sunday stimulations, where I give everybody who's associated with me and working with me, I give them one hour of a teach of some. uh, Doesn't have to be just TA; it can be some reflections, something that I've learned from a podcast, and then I theorize it in TA terms and share it with them, just to keep increasing their learnings, etc. Yes, it is um, very strenuous. But I also actually work in a very different way. I partner with international trainers to come and train in my groups mm. uh, because I want that. Um, I believe in having an expanded frame of reference, and I know how much I've benefited from that. So I would like people who train with me to have that. So I invite trainers from different fields and across countries to come and train. I think that's, um, that's good for the training. Right. And uh, Yeah.
2: I'm really interested, Anna, to know when you started your counselling training. Um, I'm assuming because you're the only counselling TSDA in India that it was somebody who wasn't Indian and didn't come from the culture you came in. Was
3: that
0: so? The primary trainer, primary uh, trainer was Saru. She was uh, she was a psychotherapist, mm-hmm. uh, and I insisted that I do counselling. Mm. Um, so then I actually got a secondary supervisor that you needed to have an additional supervisor yeah. to clock the counseling hours. Yes. So I did that. Okay. When I went on towards my TSTA, of course, I had, um, Jan Grant, who was my supervisor.
3: Ah, and very I, good.
0: And I took a lot of supervision and I attended a lot of work in Oxford too with Rosemary. I used to come every few months to Oxford.
2: Yeah, because I'm thinking Anna, about how if you were to learn TA counselling outside of India, that the frame of reference would be all wrong for understanding the culture and how working across different cultures, we might like to think that we're trained to work with anybody. But in reality, there's an awful lot to learn every time you go in and out of of a different country. And it's interesting because as much in all as the UK and Ireland both speak English, the culture is vastly different and i don't think sometimes that's appreciated enough and for people to work in the uk or people work in ireland it's a very different context Mm. um and i think that what you're saying actually just really highlights that for me because it's something i've been saying for quite a while because we grow up in ireland thinking oh well we must just be the same we're white we speak english Mm. but it's very different you know and uh yeah, that's interesting. What, what can sometimes get discounted just because we speak the same language.
1: What interests me, something you just said, is that you, you fought for training in counselling, despite it being much easier. You have all these other people in psychotherapy. Was that to do with what you explained earlier, that counselling is more readily acceptable in the Indian culture, or was that something to do with the particular approach of counselling? What was it that made you so determined?
0: So when I joined a transactional analyst, I was already a, a Rogerian, ah, uh, right. which was client-centered work. I'm mean, a Rogerian at heart. The, yeah. I believe a lot in the work of Carl Rogers. Yeah. So I think for me, the one was that, that mm. I was already a Rogerian. The second part is in retrospect. Now, when I look at that journey in, say, 2020, which I was unaware then, I think I come from a business family. And I think that must have played out because to me, I'm, the entrepreneurial side probably started emerging then. And I had a desire from then to actually shape the conversation in India where counseling and therapy is spoken about in the living room. Mm, great. And therefore you need to, you know, I had a teacher once who said something, said, you know, if there's a boulder in front of you, and it's coming in the way of you achieving your goal, you need to learn how to either push the boulder or walk around the boulder to get to achieve your goal. So now when I look at the reason I selected counseling at that point, and vehemently, probably it was the entrepreneurial part of me that saw an opportunity, right. and which was definitely what I worked towards, because for me once i have a dream i will work at it to achieve it and that's why i said i'm also very radical i'm radical because i also push the envelope for example if you see the website or you see my uh, the brand youtube site etc you'll see every associate of mine who's they've spoken about their personal journey they've yeah. exposed their vulnerabilities yeah. my clients all the people you saw on the website the imagery they're all my clients for me it's about a combine of entrepreneurial and radical ideas coming together so I actually do things in a way that I think is the way to make something work and as long as I'm guided by my inner barometer of ethics I'm okay to do it alone
2: (laughs) I'm going back to think about one thing you said at the very beginning, which is how much you value, value psychoeducation. And as a student of educational TA, I'm thinking now of Joel Barrow's uh, continuum model yes. and about moving from humanistic to progressive to radical. And you used the words radical a lot and you obviously come from a humanistic background if you're a student of carl rogers um, who is the founder of humanistic psychology so there's something about here as well about having a very strong or i'm getting a sense of you having a very strong educator identity about part of your work is broader than your individual or systemic work but work for for educating your community you know that you are growing around yourself and i think that's very powerful because we need more radical people that's how we're going to create change for the future um so i think that's uh, you know that that lights me up it inspires me when i hear you talking that way because i think we can get trapped in our individual work and it's really important i think to look at the bigger picture and, and looking at within the system that we're living in the culture that we're living in, which is something that you clearly look at and talk about a lot so that's amazing i'm wondering about philosophy, because you use a lot of philosophical quotes and metaphors, and I'm wondering the impact of that in your work. And is that something that comes from TA or from broader reading?
0: I think it originated in TA because I think if I, for people who are early learners in TA, you'll understand that from the classical model, the A1 doesn't have words but understands imagery, metaphors. Music. So for me, I think that's where the metaphorical language started. Mm. But uh, John and Matt, I actually listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of podcasts that interest me in sociology, philosophy, and also emerging social issues. Mm. Um, and what I do do is I actually take social issues and then I psycho educate clients and People who engage with me, whether it's my family or, you know, friends, I try and conceptualize it for them so that they make meaning. And that is for me how we maintain human connectedness. Yeah. And uh, therefore I use this. And I do think if actually if we take a pause and understand, TA does have a lot of philosophy. It's laced with philosophy and sociology. Mm. Um, Absolutely and, and psychologies, and that's actually really the power of t a
3: mm.
0: you know i agree in, uh, for example in in the last one month, we are all talking about racism, you know it's a burning issue, but if you can actually look at where did racism stem from, it stems from actually from the beginning or the early wound of being the other, yes, mm. and if people can make meaning of what am I doing, what are you doing? When we are treating the other with no equity and equality, yeah. which shadow side of us is becoming stronger and stronger?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. great. And what parts of TA philosophy really inspire you, Anna? Because, you know, there's so much to it. I'm wondering which bits are, are the bits that you really connect with from TA philosophy.
0: So the basic TA philosophy of I'm okay, you're okay is for me very meaningful that's yeah. the uh, existential stance. I extend it into two more. Is I'm okay, you're okay. And I also extend it into the stance of when I work with people to see, is this a survival stance of poverty and abundance? Mm. And I'm not talking poverty and abundance about just money or material stuff. Yeah. Poverty in terms of strokes, poverty. In terms of education, mm. uh, etc., so that's really the TA philosophy that's very, very um, meaningful to me and I hold dear. Wonderful. Mm.
2: Well, we're on the subject of TA. You know, one of the questions that we ask almost everybody is if you um, have any opinions about maybe why TA isn't so well known uh, in the world. It's definitely Matt and I's opinion that it isn't as well known as we would like it to be. Some people have different uh, opinions on that, but we do think that it could be more well known, which is one of the reasons for doing the podcast. So I was just wondering if you had any thoughts about that.
0: Yeah, I do. I think <laughs>
2: <laughs> sounds like we've got an answer there. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Go yeah. for it. Uh
0: I think one is I'm going to be a bit controversial. I think at one level we follow burn script, all of us, at yeah. some level. Mm-hmm. Another one, I think I don't think we really engage with the larger world.
3: Mm. Mm.
0: Okay. When I say that, I do understand that it's important to use transactional analysis language however when we use transactional analysis language outside the transactional analysis community we need to use language that is appropriate for that group of people okay yeah and that's one uh the second part and the third part is that i am not saying that we should not The TAJ is good. We're not disputing it. However, I think the TAJ articles are more what you would compare with, you know, the Lancet, or it's more theoretical articles.
3: Yes, very academic.
0: Yeah. I think we need to have people who are actually talking or speaking in other forums. Agreed. I do that here. I do that here, not because of anything, because. If I have to have people talk about TA in the living room, that they're in counseling in the living room, they need to be able to understand something.
1: Yes. And the language you use is so important.
0: Yeah. For example, if one of you listen to the Mind Your Mornings podcast, I actually use non-TA language. But for example, I would say, you know, the blueprint that's encoded and then I would say in transactional analysis, the blueprint is what you call the script.
3: Mm. Nice. So is this your podcast?
0: Yeah, which I just ah, launched. It's, it's a fortnightly one. But again, it's a theme of sociology, philosophy, and psychology. Brilliant. And my idea is to highlight social issues from a psychological lens.
2: Great. Mm. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. That's and people That's can to that. on Spotify, Anna.
0: Yeah, on Spotify and on Apple. Yeah, it's a fortnightly uh, podcast. And I find, you know, as I told you, I listen to a lot of podcasts because I think it's very educative. It gives a very broad perspective on different issues.
1: Mm, Absolutely. And I think what you said earlier about this frame of reference, this schema, the more we're able to hear what other minds and even from other disciplines have to say, the better we will be able to apply our knowledge. There was something you said earlier about part of your mission is to bring counseling into being something acceptable. And when you talked about having the stone that you can either push or walk around, I had this image of you pushing the stone (laughs) and it being something to do with that. So can you tell us more about that?
0: Yeah, uh, acceptable. For example, all my client systems and client populations, they actually talk about that they are in counseling or in therapy right they, they don't hide it that's one thing they are not ashamed of it in fact it's quite interesting because when they come to the office you know because of appointments they're all sitting in the reception room so they all talk to each other introduce themselves so that's one thing the other area that i do for this is that i've actually looked at a multi pronged approach the podcast is one yeah. i've also and i have to say it with deep gratitude That I've actually worked with a few very, very well-known social influencers of our country.
3: Yeah.
0: uh, And they've come on national television. They've spoken about me internationally at all forums that I'm their therapist. Yeah. Um, So I think that is, again, because in the end, people do follow social Mm -hmm. influencers.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I also kind of write articles about what the meaning of therapy is. I actually wrote, I came from a highly dysfunctional family Uh and I've had to work through it. So work through it, when I say my own issues, I continue to work through it. So I've written a book, which is published by Penguin. It's called Battles of the Mind. And I've actually used how I work through my issues using TA language, using Uh different concepts. And I stand on every public forum I'm being a checkbook, <laughs> and I say I'm in therapy.
3: Mm, great.
0: And the way I say that is that if you need me to be available for you psychologically, I need to have someone to be available to me. Mm.
1: Right. Yeah, and that is so important, isn't it? And mm. that your baggage, your issues, your script—what was the term you used before instead of blueprint? Using- blueprint. right?
2: Yeah, that you're dealing with your blueprint. Fantastic. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Anna, can you tell us a little bit about live, laugh,
3: love?
0: Yeah, so that's the foundation. It's a mental health foundation that I head. I'm the chairperson. So in the year 2014, my client, who's India's, the lead actor of India. So since you're young and you'd like, has the highest social media following in Asia, she's considered one of Asia's most powerful women. Her name is Deepika Padukone. You probably can Google her. So she had an episode of depression. She came to me and I was the one who actually assessed it and then got her psychiatric help. So she decided after her recovery that she would use her influence in the area of mental health. And she formed uh, the Live, Love, Love Foundation. It was formed in 2015. I chair the foundation. We are actually, we work in the area of awareness, destigmatization and education. To build an inclusive India, especially mm, inclusive wonderful. of people who have mental health issues. Because in India, they are really ostracized and excluded. Yeah. And um, you will be happy to know that actually last year, 2019, October, our work was recognized by what is called the Husslein Museum. That's in Belgium. They mm. work in the area of stigma. They gave us an award. We were awarded for our work in mental health. And again, in January, Deepika and myself came to Davos because she received the Crystal Award for working in our mental health. We've done a lot of things. We've done very creative things. We actually launched India's first mental health digital campaign, which was released in English. English is a combination of Hindi and English. Ah. And yeah, it's called Hinglish.
2: I've never heard of that before. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. Like Spanglish.
1: <laughs> I, thought, yeah. I thought I'd misheard you at first.
0: <laughs> it's Hinglish. It's, so it's called Dobara Pucho, which is Ask Again. And that campaign was launched. It was the first, it went viral. We use a lot of social media because we want to be able to un- uh, sensitize the young Indian. So we use a lot of innovative kind of campaigns to work in awareness and education and you know release videos and all mm. sorts of things
3: um, very powerful yeah, mm. yeah. wonderful work
0: yeah mm. and you know one thing about Dipika, she talks in every interview that she gives about her journey with depression
2: that's very powerful I think you know very yeah. powerful especially yeah. when you're trying to raise stigma um yeah. you know and she's a role model you know that's yeah. the thing a yeah. huge role model yeah. um, I think that that's very very powerful That's great. And you also mentioned something else that you're working on uh, around providing lay counseling. Yes. I I was wondering if you talked to us a little bit about that as well, because that sounds wonderful. I'm I'm amazed at all of the amazing radical initiatives that you're you're involved in, (laughs) because you really are involved in quite a lot in India in terms of uh, raising stigma, which is so powerful.
0: Mm. So let's start with a joke. (laughs) My family and my team that's the team at the, that I work with, they actually tell me they feel tired when they see my energy. And <laughs> <laughs> where, where, where do you get all this energy from? But you know, I just feel I'm 57 years old. What is the footprint I want to leave with regard to mental health? Mm, and therefore I need to really work at it. And I'm very influenced by, you know, when I read autobiographies or listen to stories of people really worked at making something work worked at making something work so I'm, i'm very driven by that actually let me tell you what i've done and because i do systemic work so again because of the work of working with systems and i work with some very high profile family systems when they actually understood the power of mental health work they said that part of their CSR, which is their corporate social responsibility, they would like to actually engage with their communities in providing counseling skills. And so I designed a whole counseling program for lay counselors with supervision, where I go into these small towns and stay there and train a group of lay counselors and then keep going back to kind of do the supervision and assess how the work is. Because, you know, India is so big. It's so vast. Mm. We are 1.4 billion people. Yeah. We have, for 1.4 billion people, we have 3,500 psychiatrists and totally 30,000 mental health professionals.
1: Wow.
0: It'll, It'll never be enough. And you're not going to be able to certify so many people. You'll be able to certify people for the urban cities, okay? because it's easier for them to live. So it is always better. And the model that I'm following is the model from Britain. In Britain, you had the Samaritans model where if people receive first-level listening and they're able to identify those who need to actually have evaluations, psychiatric evaluations or need additional support, that can always be done. Mm. But I think if you do lay counseling, at least... One is there's education. Two, there is sensitization and awareness that this person needs support. Yeah. And I think for me, that's something that's working. And I've also, as I said, I've actually looked at these models in a very different way. Because as I said in the podcast of the panel, we are a collective. We work in groups. Mm. We function very well in groups. We thrive in groups. Mm. So it's important for me to remember that. And you can't bring them all from rural areas into cities. You need to be able to go where they are. Yeah. And that's my thinking. So that is what I've done. Um, yeah.
1: It was one of the most inspiring parts, actually, I thought of the, the podcast. And for me, one of the things that I've thought of an awful lot, the collective, because in the West, we have become more and more individual focused. And I think Rosemary called it the age of narcissism. And it's so interesting to hear your perspective about the collective and how it had moved away and it's moving back through COVID. But I love that work that you're doing as well to enable the collective to meet the needs of, of their community. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah.
0: And I think that was really an outcome of what happened to me post my TSTA. I think during my TSTA journey, if we look at role theory, I was so focused on. My professional role, my organizational role, and my personal roles, because you know, I had no time. I was, there was no availability. I think I, I neglected the community role.
3: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Therefore, as soon as I finished the TST, one of my first decisions was, I need to re-enter that, right. and I need to do something for community.
3: Hmm. Yeah.
1: I felt like that I've just it. started that journey myself. After being a minister in a religious group and then pulling out of that and being part of a community in a a kind of small way, but never really, I kind of held back, I pulled back. And only this year have I decided, okay, time to muck in and work within my community more. It's been lovely, actually.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, I just want to say thank you, Anna. That's been yeah. so inspiring. Um,
0: Being radical enough for you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I love a bit of radicalism. <laughs> I'm all for it. <laughs> uh, I'm all for it. Yeah, I think we need, we need radicals to shake things up we otherwise we become too complacent Recent. yeah um so i um i am i'm all for it yeah i feel inspired i think that's my my parting feeling as we come to the end of the podcast is i'm feeling very inspired
3: mm, about me too.
2: what i can do in my community and the impact that we can have because i think sometimes we do forget that that we have an impact or at least i maybe i speak for myself i forget it so i think it's it's reminded me
0: I think from my end, I'd like to say that I was very happy and um, excited that both of you had started this podcast because for me, I was saying, okay, here are some people who are doing some entrepreneurial stuff in the TA world and, you know, kind of infusing a freshness. Mm. And I really appreciate both of you for doing that.
1: Mm. Thank you. Thank you. It's interesting hearing about your energy and your staff saying you wear them out. I love that. I get that sense, actually, just talking to you. I feel like, oh, yeah, I've got to get on with my projects now.
0: Having <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. have had you know, just a little bit of time talking to you. It's fantastic. Mm, yeah. it. it's been great. So if people want to get in contact with you, Anna, what's the best way for them to do they, that?
0: So they can email Anna at com. Yep.
2: Yeah. Yeah. and you can check out your website which is www.annachandy.com yeah. Yeah. and the uh, Mind Your Mornings podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you. I'll put all the details on the show notes. Thanks. And take a look at that video of Brave New You. It's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. thank you. That says
1: a lot about what TA is all about. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks so much for your time, Anna.
2: Really yeah, fun. thank you.
1: Bye. Bye. As always, If you found anything in today's episode interesting, please feel free to reach out. You can visit our website, which has lots of information and TA resources, transactionalanalysispodcast.com. You can connect with us on all major platforms, such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can email us at threepeopleinyourhead at gmail.com using the number three, rather than the word. If you haven't already, please follow us on Apple Podcast and Spotify. And we'd be really grateful if you could leave us a review. Thanks for listening.